What's up, high street young adults? How are we doing? Y'all survived that storm out there? Yep, you guys are here. Come on. That's all I ask. All right. Oh, man, getting old. Guys, my name is D Chan. If we have not met, I get to serve on staff here at the church with young adults. So safe to say that Tuesdays are definitely my go-to day of the week. Don't know if you have a favorite day, but Tuesdays are my day. Um, and so if it's your first time, your first time in a long time, or if you've been one of the few many faithfuls who've been joining us on this journey, just want to say welcome. I uh, love that you guys are here on this Tuesday night. At least we all get to come together um, away from the storm, you know. But a little bit about myself. I'm originally from Malaysia. Uh, I was born and raised in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and we end up moving to the United States around 2009 to a small town in Missouri called Eureka. Some of you guys might have heard it. Some of you guys have no idea where Eureka is. Um, but Eureka is just a small town, and we're known for a couple things. So Eureka is known for, uh, honestly, some good community. We won little town of the year, or small town of the year, back in like 2015, 2016. And that was across the whole country. So I take pride in that. Uh, we also are really famous for a theme park called Six Flags. Anybody been to Six Flags? Some? Cool. Six flags, more flags, more fun. Um, however, when I moved to the United States, um, like anyone else who moves, I, I had to make new friends. You know, I moved here, I was like, I don't know a soul. And my initial thought was, I thought this was going to be like high school musical. Uh, it unfortunately was not. Um, but along those lines, I would get asked a lot of questions as people were curious about my culture uh, and where I'm from. And they would ask a lot of interesting questions. Mind you, this was like back in middle school. So I'm like sixth grade Chubby Chan back in the day, not D Chan. Um, but one of the questions they always asked and has some relation to tonight's story, it's kind of funny, was about my living circumstances, where I live, how I traveled. And like I said, we're 12 year olds, 11 year olds. And, and they'd be like, I'm like, what's up? They're like, where you? like, what's your living life like? I'm like, well, it's pretty normal. I'm like trying to figure out what they're trying to ask. And they say, well, like, do you guys live in like trees? Like, do you live in like huts in, in Malaysia? I'm like, no. Um, I also don't ride an elephant to school. Uh, Malaysia, if you guys did not know, is a metropolitan city. It's like a, it's essentially like New York, right? It's big, maybe not as big, um, but it's a very city-based place. Uh, however, the perception they had of that was that I was living the wild, that I was rough, roughing it out there. And that's going to be kind of a, a leeway into tonight's message, um, really the theme. If it's your first time here or if you've been following along, we're currently in this series called Clarity. Clarity, as we talk, go through the Old Testament, we're trying to bring clarity to the Old Testament. Anybody raise your hands here. If you ever read the Old Testament, you're like, I have no idea what's going on. Lots of hands. Come on, come on, some of y'all. I'm right there with you. I remember I used to read these. I'm like, I have no idea what the connection of the Old Testament is with the New Testament. I figured there were two separate things. The Old Testament was like the Ten Commandments, and the New Testament was like Jesus. And I'm like, that's great. That's all I need to know. Um, so hopefully this series, you guys have really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed learning from Jared and Logan and also studying a little bit about it myself. So, so tonight's theme that we're going to be talking about is the wilderness. And we're gonna kinda cover a timeline of what the wilderness is, and then we're gonna zoom in onto a specific passage in the book of Numbers. So I don't know what you guys think about when you think of the wilderness. The wilderness, obviously outdoors. Some of you guys are outdoor people, some are 
We all indoor people just play, like read books, play video games. Today's like your day. You get to just chill, listen to some lo-fi music. The rest of y'all like, man, I can't wait to go to Arkansas or go hike or go bike. Either way, there's, there's different uh, feelings on it. But within the Bible, the wilderness was a background, usually during important events, okay? So we have, in this case, tonight we're gonna c- cover the wilderness of the Israelites as they wandered for 40 years after their exodus from Egypt. We also see the wilderness in a setting in the New Testament was Jesus. Jesus actually, after 40 days, the devil would bring him to the wilderness, and that's where he would get tempted. So, so to really cover what the wilderness is, it is a testing ground. And, and so let's get a quick recap of, of how we got to this topic of the wilderness. So the first series of clarity, we talked about this man named Abram. Abram would name eventually become Abraham, and he'd be called the father of many nations. Abraham would have a son named Isaac. Isaac would have a son named Jacob. Jacob would have a son named Joseph. Now, Joseph was the, like, favorite child of Jacob, and he got eventually sold to slavery. Um, that would suck if you were a sibling and you just got sold to slavery. Got sold to slavery in Egypt. And during his time in Egypt, God would preserve Joseph, and he would raise Joseph to be of high status. He would raise Joseph to be of high status, and eventually the Israelites would follow through. And they have this safe ground in Egypt. And then eventually Joseph would pass on, and a new Pharaoh would come in place. And what happened was the Pharaoh was afraid that these Israelites were going to revolt, they were going to take over. So his decision was to put them in slavery. And this is when God would introduce a character by the name of Moses. As the Israelites, throughout their 400 years of slavery, prayed to God, can you save me? Can you help me? And this is when Moses would lead them out of Egypt into, towards the promised land. So the wilderness is in the time of that middle ground between the Exodus and then the promised land. I really encourage you guys to read the books. There's a couple of them. You've got Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, Exodus. They all cover this journey. So that, that's kind of like the zoom outlook. Now I want to zoom in to Numbers 14. And the book of Numbers is essentially the history books. Like I said, it covers specific events. And tonight's chapter in number 14 is really the catalyst. It's the turning point for the history of Israel. Now, now I want you guys to really imagine this. I have this question for you guys. Anybody in here done something dumb in your life that had a lasting consequence? Sam out front, raise his hand, the rest of you guys, no? Man, y'all are some saints up in here. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Well, let me tell you about this dumb point that I did back in the day that had a lasting consequence. Not too dumb. Uh, just have to preface this. This was before I started following Christ. I was in high school. I was young. I was ready, and, and I was ready for a Zach Brown Band concert, if it's what you were wondering about. Zach Brown Band, love them. If you've never seen them live, definitely recommend. But I went to a Zach Brown Band concert, and around that time, I wasn't being wise. I wasn't being smart. I wasn't being in probably the right situation, and I eventually got caught drinking underage as a 16-year-old. And, and I made a dumb decision, and I would get an MIP, and I have to go talk to the parents. That was a tough time in, in D-Chan's life back in the day. But all that to say is that dumb decision had a lasting consequence. However, that dumb decision did not define who I am. And that's really tonight's theme as we go through Numbers 14, because what happens in this book, in this chapter, is we see the Israelites make a dumb decision that would cause them 
a lasting consequence in their history. And tonight we're gonna see three separate parallels, three different parallels as we go through this book. Um, However, I want you guys to really sit on this. If there's really one or two things to remember from tonight is that even when we are faithless, God is faithful, and that you are not defined by your actions or the choices you've made in the past. You are defined by who God says you are in his word. Okay, y'all with me? Say yes if you are, say no if you're not. Thank you. Come on, come on, let's get it. Okay, Numbers 14. We're gonna dive right in, verse one through four. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So what's going on here is all we see in scripture is that the congregation is referring to Israel. They're freaking out. They're crying. And they're freaking out because in chapter 13, the chapter before, they sent scouts to the promised land. Right? They borderline the promised land. They're like, let's send some scouts in. And they sent 12 scouts, and they would return. And of the 12 scouts, only two had really something good to say. Two of them by the name of Caleb and Joshua. They went to scout the land, and it says they found the land of milk and honey. They found the land that God had promised them. However, along the land, there were the descendants of Anak, sons of Anak. And essentially, they're called Nephilim. And what they were, they're just a bunch of giant people. I'm talking like eight feet, nine feet, Shaquille O'Neal times two, giant. And they're freaked out because they were going to have to invade this promised land, Canaan, to get these, to get what God has promised them. However, we, we see them freaking out instead of believing in God who's brought them out of Egypt. They, they've decided that because of the other ten spies this unbelief start brewing. They're like, maybe I can't do it. Maybe this obstacle is too big for me to take over. And maybe someone in here has that same season right now. Maybe someone in here, uh, uh, like me, I think we all have our own obstacles, right? Like we're going through something, whether it is financially, relationally, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it is, sometimes it can seem like such a big obstacle that we don't know what to do. And our natural instinct here is to freak out. And it's really crazy to think about because it says they raised a loud cry and wept and grumbled to Moses and Aaron. That's our initial reaction to to struggles, isn't it? That's our initial reaction to any obstacle. At least that's mine. And it's interesting because throughout their time from Exodus into Numbers, God has provided them. God has preserved them. God has given them the bread, the manna. He's given them the weapons and the winning formula to defeat anyone that they've come across. God freed them from Egypt, and yet right now in this obstacle, they can't see past that. And I think we all have the same feeling sometimes, right? And we forget who our identity is in. If you're in here and you have a relationship with Christ, your identity isn't defined by this obstacle in front of you, isn't defined by what you've done, what you're gonna do, it's defined by who God says you are. 
And what happens is it gets even crazier. They say, would it not be better to go back to Egypt? So they went from freaking out, they went from crying and grumbling into blaming. Right here, they start blaming not just Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua from leading them out of Egypt, which, mind you, in Exodus, they prayed for that. They start blaming God. Like, God, why did you bring me all the way here just to leave me here? And it's, it's crazy because we all, we all do that. Instead of going to Christ, when something hard happens, we fall back into what we know, which is fear and lack of, lack of trust. So they're like, let's go to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's decide to find a leader and let's have him lead us back to Egypt. So they went from not praying to God, they went from freaking out, and then they went from trusting God's strength into our own strength. Anybody here, like start looking at yourself, like how can I fix this? Like when it's a crazy situation, because I know that's my first instinct. Like let me go back to this pattern of sin or, or a pattern of my own strength to protect me. However, I want you to see this Egypt, they were enslaved to Egypt for 400 years. They were getting killed, they were getting mauled, and they were praying in that time to, let, to get escape. And I think this really parallels into our human lives every day, that when an obstacle comes in our way, we start really idealizing sin, right? We idealize our old way. We idealize, like, man, maybe I'm not, I'm not enough, so what am I gonna do? This relationship didn't work out, I'm just gonna go back to this old sin pattern because that's gonna protect me, that's gonna fulfill me. That's why I feel like with men, we struggle a lot with pornography and masturbation. Like, like we are finding freedom, we're finding purity, and then life hits you hard, and you're like, well, I'm not worth anything, so let me go back to what I know. However, that is the lie of the devil. John 10.10 10 says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil will do whatever it takes to separate you from God. And really, this first section is where we see the first parallel of tonight, and that is the parallel of Israel and us. The parallel of Israel and us. I mean, we read this, and I'm like, that's so dumb. Why would you go back to slavery? That is so, so dumb. But we do that every day. I do that every day. Right? When tension arises from an obstacle, my first instinct is to run back, to withdraw. I just finished a book uh, by a guy named Jim Cimbala called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. It's a book about prayer. It's a really beautiful book if you've never read it. But in there, there he, he quotes an old hymn. He says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit, forfeit, yeah. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And you might hear that and you might be in a season of your wilderness or your struggle and you're like, well, I've, I've brought it to God. Anyone feel that before? Uh, like, you were waiting, you're like, I've brought it to God, I've prayed every day, I've brought it to community and nothing is happening, why? And we get frustrated and we're like, well, God doesn't love me. He doesn't care because he's not answering my prayer. He's not, leaving, he's not separating me from this hard circumstance and we fall into this lie. We fall into this idealization of perfection, right? My challenge here to everyone here is do not let your idealization of perfection prevent you from seeing the progression that God is currently doing in your own circumstance. Because everything that we go through has a purpose. Even the pain we go through has a purpose. 
Don't let the idea of perfection in your circumstance take away from the progression of what God is currently doing in your life. Don't forget who you are and whose you are. Continue in verses 6 and 10, right? And it says, And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore your clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Your protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Do not fear them. And here we see Joshua and Caleb, the two of the faithful 12 spies, remind them. And I think that's what we need. They tore their clothes off, and within Scripture, that's like a passionate plea, like, hey, remember who you are. I think of the Lion King when, when Mufasa's talking to Simba. He's like, remember. And sometimes we need that. I wish sometimes, you know, God came up in a cloud, but that's not how it works. That's why he's given us community to tell us, hey, you need to remember who you are and whose you are. Remember what God has brought you through. Remember what God has preserved you through. Whatever that journey is for you. Because like the Israelites, we go through our own wilderness journey. Each one has an individual journey. And it says in Numbers 23, 19, that God is not man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it, or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? All that says is whenever God has proclaimed a promise, he is going to fulfill it. Whatever that promise is in your life, he will fulfill it. And that promise, you find it in Scripture. And that has to grow closer to him. All right? And... and in contrast, though, we see Caleb and Joshua, who are two faithful men who are rooted in Christ. In contrast, we see the congregation's answer. Their lack of faith only saw the obstacles that are in their way, and it drove them to the pass of wanting to stone the faithful for. It went past, like, man, common sense at that point. And I think sometimes we get driven to that. We're like, this is the only way out. Or we get in the mindset of, I guess that's it. I don't deserve anything after this choice I made back in the day, whether it's a relationship, maybe it's a struggle I have. This is all I have. This is the best that God has for me. And, and man, that is so far from the truth because God's already promised this to you and promises to them. And that's the crazy part because in Exodus 23, 20, verse 22, it's literally a passage of God speaking to Israel and saying, hey, you're about to go to this promised land called Canaan. But before you go, I'm going to prepare the way for you by sending an angel. He says, behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place I've prepared. So he's sending and preparing something before you. God works in the details even when you don't see them. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression. For my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. I think this is such a sweet reminder to us. Like when we go through hard times, man, there is so much purpose in that because everyone here has an individual story and an individual hardship or circumstance and journey that you have to go through. 
And that when you get to the other side, God's going to use that because you're going to be able to talk to someone else and relate to their pain, right? Because we need each other. No one's story is alike, but that's good because that way we can relate to a wider audience. There's going to be people I can't relate to that some of y'all can relate to and vice versa. And eventually we see through all the grumbling and through all the complaining and through the wanting to stone the faithful for, we finally see God show up. It's funny, it's like a, a sense of poetic justice of Israel the whole time they're complaining, right? And they're like, let me die here. I should have died in Egypt, let me die here. And God's like, he shows up and says, he shows up and he's like, bet, let me call your bluff. And God was about to do it, but then we see this incredible transition of Moses. He comes to the aid of the Israelites. He, he, we see Moses step in for the Israelites, and he brings up this fact to God that, hey, not long ago you freed them from the Egyptians. And these Egyptians know who you are. They've seen you follow these Israelites. And what would they be thinking if you killed them right here, right now? Essentially, the thought process of, hey, if you kill them right now, these Egyptians who are witnessing your power would come up with the idea that God couldn't save them, God couldn't provide for them, and that would question God's authority. Moses here makes a plea to God for Israel, and we see that in, in verse 18, uh, 13. It says, but Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people and your might from among them. And they will tell the inhabitants of this land, they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it's because the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land. And he goes on and says, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And right here, we, earlier we see Israel challenge, right? We see this challenge to God, but they challenge God with this lack of faith. And right now we see Moses challenging God in a way that, hey, I'm challenging you to come through for us because you've preserved us for so long. So forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of these people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Moses essentially has said, you've revealed yourself to me that these characteristics are true to you. Now reveal yourself to the people of Israel by providing them grace. He knew God's power. He applied that principle to it. He knew God's promise. He applied it, and he knew God's glory. And then he also appealed to it. This right here is an incredible image of intercession. And intercession is essentially going forth for another person. You're interceding for another person, right? And this is really where we see that second parallel. The second parallel of Moses and Jesus. And right here, Moses shows the beauty of what Jesus does. He's like a dim foreshadow of who Christ is. Because think about it for this second, Jesus got crucified by the very people he came to die for, for the very people he came to lead out of slavery of sin into freedom. Moses is doing that same thing because remember, not too long ago, five minutes ago, they're about to stone my man. 
And Moses still comes to the aid for them. He says, hey, God, I know that you have a plan for them. I know that even though they are broken, that they're in this time of fear, in this season of fear, they're about to make this dumb decision, you still love them. Moses here is speaking with his heart. And we even continue going further into this parallel of Moses and Jesus in verse 20 and 24. And this is God replying, says, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land I swore to give to their fathers. So God's saying, hey, I am gonna pardon them but there's still judgment to be made because God is a God of mercy and God is a God of holiness. But with holiness, there has to be a consequence for sin. And here he's given that judgment and he's saying that these men who've challenged me, I have mercy on them, I'll preserve them. I'll preserve them for this dumb decision they make. And they're not defined by this decision, but who I say they will be. And God allows them to live. However, the judgment and the consequence of that sin is that they will not go into the promised land. It says, but my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land to which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Right? And, and right here, this is another parallel because God is holy and just in the same way that we ourselves right now are broken, the Israelites are broken, in the same way that the Israelites sinned against God through rebelling, through complaining, through blaming God, we sin against God every day. We sin against God from the big to the small. And with that, sin has a payment. Sin, I've heard once, is the most expensive thing on this earth ever made. Not made, but ever made or ever created, whatever you wanna call it, because there's only one form of payment, and that is through Jesus Christ. So in verse 34, it continues, this according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. So God would give this sentence, he would give his judgment call, and that would be 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. This is where we get this wilderness wandering experience from. This is the catalyst to it. And this parallels because in the same way that they cannot enter the promised land because of sin and because of a false repentance, we can't be in a relationship with God if we don't repent of our sins. We can't be in a relationship with God because we can't repent, we need to repent of our sins. And that if we are still enslaved to sin, we can never enter God's promise. The old man has to die and the believer must be fully in line with God. So we talked through the first parallel of parallel of Israel and us, the second parallel of Moses and Jesus. And so far, the story has honestly been pretty crazy, right? They see giants, they freak out, they blame God. God says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you out on this and you're about to die. Moses intercedes and parallels Christ. Now this next part, when I read this, was funny to me. Uh, um, so, so we got that recap, and, and now we see in 39, verses 39 and 43, the last parallel, the parallel of sin and death. So what's going on is Moses had his conversation with God, 
he would report his findings to the Israelites. And he said, when Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. And what that meant was they heard the news that they were not allowed to enter the promised land. So they cried some more. However, this next part is crazy. It says, and they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the whole country saying, here we are. We will go up to the place that the Lord has promised for we have sinned. And, and it's kind of ironic, right? Think about it. Now they're like, ah, oh, man, this news sucks. Well, let's sleep, have some good rest. We'll wake up at 4 a.m. and we're going to go take the promised land. Except God's presence is not with him. And I think that's how we deal with life sometimes. We're like, this sin's here, but we don't need God. We can fix it. This, we have this struggle, but we don't need God's help. We don't need community. We don't need accountability. Why? Because that's the pride of sin. That's the, pride, that's the sin of pride. And I remember I read this, and it was funny. This is kind of a side note, but I just, as I was reading my Bible, right here, I don't know if you can, you can't zoom in, right here, all I wrote was, bruh. I was like, bro, like, it's like telling a kid, like, Sometimes I'll serve in Kid Street. And I, man, thank goodness I'm not a parent yet. Uh, but sometimes I'm in Kid Street and you tell a kid like, hey, maybe like don't hit the other kid here that you don't know with like a toy truck the size of like this Bible, you know? And they're like, mm. smoked him. I'm like, okay. And in that same way, I'm like, bruh, like what are you doing? And over here, I thought the Old Testament was just kind of like stale, but it's really funny if you really read into it, right? So they rose up early in the morning and they say, here we are, we will go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. So on paper, it seems like this is repentance, right? They're repenting. But, but we see in the next line that it wasn't true repentance because Moses said, why are you now transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? So Moses is here essentially calling him out. He says, you guys aren't really repenting of your sins. I don't think you guys truly believe that God can deliver you to the promised land of Canaan. And they would continue. They, they didn't listen. There's no sincerity of the heart compared to what Moses was praying for when he was talking to God. So after he said that, he gave them this warning of, do not go up for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword. Because you have turned back from the following the Lord, the Lord will not be with you. So their response was this, but they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. And so the Ark of the Covenant they would bring with them, what that symbolized was the presence of God being with them. So every time they went to war, the Ark of the Covenant would be with them, and that way, it symbolized like God's wisdom to help them fight through this, this battle. Instead, they said, and the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down, defeated them, pursued them, even Torma. So they didn't listen to Moses. They looked inwardly. They didn't rely on God. They didn't repent. And then they went to go and fight this battle. And we look at this, and I look at this, and I think this is such a dumb tactic, and yet we do this all the time. I do this all the time. There, there's a verse in Romans, Romans 6, 23, a lot of you guys might have heard of it. It says, for the wages of sin is death. So every time that you sin, which is missing the mark, you deserve the right to die, all of us, because no one here is perfect if you didn't know. Um, however, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. 
So right here, it shows a stark contrast of, hey, sin is separating you from God because it's missing the mark. And each time you sin, you get eternal, you, you deserve eternal separation, but God's saying, hey, you have this gift. So how do you attain this gift? It's not by anything you do, flash, newsflash. It's really by two ways. You turn and you trust, right? Turn has a different word that some of you guys might heard of. It's called repent, repentance. And repentance is actually a Roman military term, right? In Romans, during the time of war, if they were going to battle, if they were losing the battle, if I was losing the battle and I was Roman, I'm Asian, but if I was a Roman, I would say repent. I'm like, boys, you gotta repent. And what repent meant was turn 180 and retreat. Because what would happen is if you did not retreat, if you did not repent and you went forward into the battle, you're gonna get crushed. You're gonna get killed. You're gonna get destroyed like these fools over here, the Israelites or us, right? We have this option to repent every time we sin. And so this is essentially that different parallel that we are called to turn and trust because if not, we will face the same consequences that the Israelites face. So we, we got the three parallels of Israel and us, of Moses and Jesus, and of, death, uh, and of sin and death. And it's crazy because this story right here is really that turning point in Israel's history. This story comes because a people group chose this decision that was dumb and they had lasting consequences. And like I said, we've all been in here and have done a dumb thing. We've made horrible decisions, we've made hard decisions, voluntarily or maybe involuntarily, and we sit with those consequences, right? And sometimes what happens with that is the shame that comes with it. This thought, this idea that I will never be enough, these actions, these lifestyle choices are what's gonna define me. And I mean, look at it, the, the Israelites, they, they went against God and God said, you got 40 years in the wilderness and you'll never enter the promised land. In my head, I'm like, well, that's, that's it. That's all I'm destined to. There's no mercy in that. However, that is mercy in itself, that you get to live another day, that you get to be here, that we get to gather. And, and right here, it, it's a reminder that we need a savior. This, this really, this turning point in Israel's history points to a continuation of patterns of struggles of humanity, of brokenness throughout the Old Testament. That every hero that was supposed to come and lead God's people into the promised land or out of slavery or out of some sort of bondage, these leaders, these greats, they fall short. David fell short, Moses falls short. So many people fall short, King Solomon falls short. However, what this does is it points to the need, this inward need of a savior because we're fully broken inside and, and that we can't do anything to get into the promised land. The Israelites here didn't have to do anything to get into the promised land. All they needed was the presence of God, right? And sometimes this, this presence of God, we, we think about it, we're like, how, how can we get this presence of God? Well, it's easy. The, the same presence of God that's offered here to the Israelites, if they took it, is offered to everyone here tonight. It, it says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that he, he rose from the dead, you'll be saved. It's so simple. The gospel is so simple that a toddler can learn it in VBS. And also so complex that people 
who studied the Bible for years will never fully understand it. But I think there's such a beauty because there's a mystery there that all we have to do is just appreciate it. 